Happy Friday and welcome to episode 40 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I'm your host, retired FBI supervisory special agent, Darren Mott. And in this episode, I'm going to talk headlines. No guests today. We're just going to talk about what's in the news because it has been a crazy 10 days in cybersecurity um, and since my last podcast anyway. And so I've missed some things. I decided that this week I would kind of keep it short and sweet, hopefully half hour or under uh, as a podcast I listened to says, I'm going to steal his quote, but we're here for a good time, not a long time. So I don't want to take up too much time on this weekend, but hopefully talk about some key cybersecurity issues. Some of them have really occurred in the last 48, 72 hours. And I just want to give my particular perspective on that. Hopefully you find it useful because I certainly understand that most folks can't spend all day, all week, you know, every day looking at cybersecurity news issues. And at this point, there are so many coming at you. It's hard to really keep track of what's important, what's not important, who's doing what, how to protect yourself. So hopefully, you're, again, as I like to say, there's some value in this because my goal is to help you not become a cyber victim, understand what those cyber threats are so you can assess your risk and proceed wisely online. Uh, one part of this particular podcast is going to talk about elder scams again. Uh, there was a report that came out by the FBI Internet Crime Complaint Center, which showed some stats from elder crimes for 2020. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out with that and talk about that a little bit. Um, if you want more f- detailed information on protecting seniors, one of my earlier podcasts uh, goes into great detail on that. But let's start off with a couple cybersecurity news issues that are relevant to really kind of everybody. I'm going to start with the first one. This is not a political show by any means, and I do not mean to bring political topics into this show because you know you don't want to alienate half your audience if you can prevent it. But I want to talk about the President Biden, President Putin summit that occurred on Wednesday and specifically talk about the cybersecurity discussion such that it was. One of the big items that came out of that was the 16 critical national infrastructure areas that President Biden told President Putin he are off limits. Now, let's quite let's be quite honest. I have worked with the Russians in the past. I spent 2 years of my life trying to get the Russians to help us with cybersecurity matters in the 2000s. It had limited success at best. I got some restitution on some some low level cybersecurity cases out of New York for them, but in the in, in for the most part, the Russians hide their cyber criminals. There is no ifs ands or buts about it. Are they sponsored by the Russian government? Some are. I don't want to say supported by, but they are protected by the Russian government. I'm sure there's kickbacks to the ransomware groups that make millions of dollars in some way, shape, or form. There's a large organized crime um, infrastructure over there. And the other issue, obviously, is the nation of Russia would love to get information on particular industries within the United States for their own geopolitical means. And if they can use that, use cutouts or third parties that aren't directly affiliated with the FSB or the GRU or the SVR, which are civilian and military agencies within the Russian government, they're going to certainly do that. So anyway, all that to be said, whatever the Russians said, they're not going to do. But President Biden, in an effort to try to protect critical national infrastructure, said there are 16 infrastructures off target. Now, I don't know what that list is. I can only guess, though, and it's not that hard to guess likely what they are, because the Department of Homeland Security lists out the 16 essential critical infrastructure areas. Now, they have a couple other ones where there's more than that, but I'm going to guess that the 16 that were noted were the chemical sector, commercial facilities, communications, critical manufacturing, dams, defense industrial base, emergency services, energy, financial services, food and agriculture, government facilities, healthcare and public health sector, information technology, nuclear reactors, materials and waste, transportation and water and waste 
water systems. So those are the 16 critical national infrastructures. You can go to dhs.com, actually cista.gov, excuse me, cista.gov, c-i-s-a.gov, and then you can see the list. You can, it'll explain what they are. Uh, so in an effort to utilize this information, I decided to change my home network to oil management distribution network, hoping that that will protect me, but um, I, I really have limited faith that will probably work out. A couple pe- ways you can you can argue this particular discussion point by the president, you know, don't attack these sectors. What if they do? I don't know what the discussion was on whether or not to, but what it does highlight is these are the ones that are important to us. They'll stay away. Russia is not going to stay away. They're going to claim the hardest part in cybersecurity investigations is attribution. Who did the bad thing? And where can you find them? Can you arrest them? Can you convict them? Uh, it is very difficult, especially when the bad guys are in Russia. It's in, in, the, in most cases, not going to get your money back, not going to get anybody to go to prison. Now, every once in a while, you do find someone. You don't generally go to Russia to pick them up. They went to a third party and get arrested there, which is great. Certainly evident. There are certainly cases where that has occurred. But for the most part, you know, it's just a lot of talk for what's really not going to happen. President Obama did this with President Xi from China, and the Chinese continue to hack us on a day-to-day basis. So you can talk about it. The media will not report on their, the um, reality of the situation, but you can guarantee that there will be issues with health care. There will be hospitals that get hit with ransomware. There was one today in California, I believe. I saw that particular article that they got hit. This, like I said, it's hard to keep track of them all, but that happened today where they're, they're, the hospital is um, can't access their network because they got hit with ransomware. Government facilities, yeah, Russia's not going to attack government facilities. Okay, defense industrial base, oh, yeah, they'll say, okay, no problem. Uh, you know, water, waste and water and wastewater, they'll probably stay away from some of those more everyday people issues like water and um, power and things like that, simply because, let's be honest, our, our three-letter agencies can do the same thing back to them and probably do it a lot better because we have better resources. So there is a somewhat mutual assured destruction perspective to this, but again, it all goes back to attribution. I do not think, and time will tell whether I'm right or wrong, that this whole conversation about cybersecurity between these two leaders will lead to a whole lot of nothing other than more attacks, more cyber issues, more things to deal with. So that's my prediction. We'll see if it comes true. Second article, this occurred today. Uh, This is actually yesterday. I'm sorry. This is ehackingnews.com reporting. There is no name on the byline, so I can't give whoever wrote this particular credit. But the headline is somewhat disturbing. CVS health database breach left 1 billion user records exposed online. This, again, goes back to something I've said many, many times. You can do all you can to protect your data online, but when third parties have access to your data, it is at risk. And this is a perfect example. CVS, the, the pharmacy health pharmacy chain, you know, obviously had a problem here where they, well, let me read from the article. That might make it a little easier. So it says here that security researchers have discovered an online database belonging to CVS Health, which exposed over a billion records online. So essentially, if you've ever shopped at a CVS, you can pretty much guarantee your information is out there somewhere uh, on this particular site that was found. Now I would guess that CVS has gone and, 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 um, clean this issue up, but the database that was available at the time was 204 gigabytes in size, pretty big, contained event and configuration data, including production records of visitor ID, session IDs, customer email addresses, customer searches on CVS pharmacy websites for COVID-19 vaccines and other med- medications and so on. And so hypothetically, 
It could be possible to match the session ID with what someone searched for or added to a shopping cart and then try to identify the customer using exposed emails. And then you could use that information for phishing attacks, uh, match it up with other information on the dark web from other data breaches and use that to try to get into people's email addresses. If you can find an email account and a password that is still live on the dark web, whole host of of, of issues here. The, the, The reason I'm pointing this particular instant out is because of the sheer number of user records and several things you will probably not hear from this is you know is cbs going to let everyone who knew that the 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 potential their data was breached now it says you know there's no evidence that anyone took it but i guarantee you if someone took it somewhere someone found it took it because those bad guys are working 24 hours a day seven days a week they're they're huge groups they don't all work that that time frame, but they have people within their group that do it. So again, another third party data breach that is just profusely problematic, but gets you to start thinking and something I repeat on a weekly basis. And I apologize if you're tired of hearing me say it, but complex passwords, different passwords for different accounts. If you have a CVS rewards card, whatever they call their rewards card, you need to go and change the password today. Um, Ideally you might want to change your change your email address for all. I mean, use a different email provider, use proton mail or there's uh, smart mail, I think is a new service that allows you to create alias IDs. So when you need to sign up for things like see your CVS card, your Walgreens card, your Best Buy card, whatever, you can use an alias email that you don't generally use for more critical logins and you protect yourself that way. I'm not endorsing smart mail. I've never used it. I just kind of heard it on another podcast mentioned today. So something to look into if it's something you're looking to do, again, to add to your protection. Item number three, this is from ThreatPost. I like ThreatPost.com. They have a lot of good news articles. So if you are interested in staying abreast of certain topics, I suggest going there. But this is Tara Seals reporting the headline, The Geek Squad Phishing Attack Bypasses Email Security and Hits 25,000 Mailboxes. Now you can say, okay, 25,000 in the grand scheme of things. Not 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 that bad a deal, but that is 25,000 reported mailboxes. Who knows how many unreported mailboxes this particular attack bypassed. But reading from this, essentially, an email campaign asking victims to call a bogus number to suspend supposedly fraudulent subscriptions got right past Microsoft's native email controls. The reason I bring this article up, because a lot of companies, a lot of individuals are using Office 365. It's a great service. Microsoft is certainly on top of cybersecurity in most ways, shape, and form. It's probably a safer way. A, you know, Again, it's a third party. You're giving your information to a third party. But I would like to think that Microsoft, in this field that they're in, in the business model they're using, would have reasonable protection of the information allowed to them. Uh, and so it would identify particular fraudulent emails, spam, phishing attacks, things like this. This particular attack got right by the filters. So according to researchers at ArmorBlocks, the emails bypassed native Microsoft email security controls, along with email security engines like Exchange Online Protection and Proofpoint, landing in tens of thousands of corporate inboxes. And that is the key thing, corporate inboxes. They are looking to find people in businesses to try to scam them of money there. So... In this case, Microsoft assigned a spam confidence level of minus one to both emails, basically meaning these are no problems here. We'll shoot them right through, and you, you can you can feel feel self assured that these are 
excellent emails. And these appeared to come from the Geek Squad, and there was another one that came from Norton. Look, appeared to come from Norton Antivirus. Yet, for the Norton Antivirus one, the Norton was spelled with zeros instead of O's, and somehow Microsoft system couldn't stop it. Now, I'm not trying to downplay using Microsoft Office 365. Certainly, I am, gar- I am willing to bet that by the time you hear this podcast, Microsoft has fixed this issue for this particular attack vector. The problem is it shows that it is not hard to bypass good security on third-party third-party systems, third-party management systems, especially something like Microsoft. I think we will probably see more stories of this because, again, as I've always said, the bad guys take a look at technology, figure out how to exploit the vulnerabilities within it, and then it's the good guys are way behind before they're able to, to catch up and deal with that. So this is just another example of you still have to stay on top of your own security. That requires developing a cyber secure mindset. I'm stealing that line from Scott Angenbaum, a friend of mine. He's been on the show. You've heard him speak. Um, But that is is really true that you don't have to know everything about cybersecurity. You don't have to know about all the cyber scams out there. But staying informed with podcasts like this one, the Dr. Zero Trust podcast with Chase Cunningham. There's tons of podcasts out there. It depends on what works for you, what you like to listen to. And I greatly appreciate those of you who listen to this podcast. It means a lot that, that folks take the time to download and listen to me pontificate for however long I end up pontificating. But the, the point being... A little education goes a long way. Knowledge is protection. The more you know, to steal an NBC phrase, the safer you will be. So again, listening to these articles, understanding where the threats are, and then assessing your risk. So if you, you know, if you use Office 365 for your business, I'm not saying go find something else. I'm just saying be aware of particular scams that can still get through their filters. Now, most folks who pay good attention to cybersecurity are going to know that why would I call this number or they would call the Best Buy number directly as opposed to the number in an email. But there's certainly people that don't. And I'll talk. that'll be the last story I talk about uh, for this podcast, which will show where that is still a big problem, causing you know billion dollars of damage a year. But anyway, so no, be aware of that. If your company uses Office 365, I would, at a minimum, just send out a note saying be aware of fraudulent phishing attacks where they're trying to get you to call a number and, and tell them things. All right, so this is from ZDNet. This is Jonathan Grigg reporting. Avidon Ransomware Group closes shop, sends all 2,934 decryption keys to bleeping computer. Okay, so why am I pointing out this particular note or this particular article? So uh, let me find where I noted this. Okay, so here's what I, here's what I, what I wrote on LinkedIn. And again, if you're so inclined, follow me on LinkedIn, find me on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn. The more, I, you know, I'm happy to connect anyone to, to talk about these kind of things. But so Avidon Ransom Group, one of the most prolific ransomware groups in 2021, announced they're shutting the operation down and giving thousands of victims a decryption tool for free. Okay, great. So if you are a victim of that ransomware, you can now decrypt yourself for free. So according to this article, um, that's basically according to the article. And so it, it highlights several interesting points. First one, Avidon, the Avidon Group, makes up about 24% of the ransomware market. Only 88 attacks have been attributed to Avidon. They released decryption keys for 2,934 victims. Hmm. Those numbers don't seem to jive. The average ransom collected of the 88 known victims was about $600,000 US dollars. So let's extrapolate a couple things here. Number one, the victim reporting rate for ransomware, at least for this group, was about 3%. Meaning that 2,800 and 
50-some 50 50-some 50 victims didn't even report that they had been hacked, if, if they'd had the ransomware. It's not to say that, that they, got, they got deployed, but it certainly was out there. So if all the victims paid the average reported, the group made roughly $1.8 billion. So let's say they made only half of that. That's still a billion. That's not a bad haul for a group that only hit 88 targets. All right, let me rephrase that. So, so the way I came up with that number, the, the total number in the article is the amount of, of, of ransom paid for those 88 victims. So I extrapolated that out for 2,934 victims. And it may not be that much. I, I doubt they all paid the ransom, but trust me, Avedon did not go hungry during the time they were doing these attacks. So this highlights several points about ransomware that continue to make it a huge issue. Number one, we don't really know the extent of the problem. Let's be honest. There are thousands, there are huge percentages of victims that do not report it. They pay the ransom, they move on with their lives because there is no mandatory reporting requirement for, for most entities. The FBI claims it's investigating 100 variants. Okay, so that means the FBI knows there's 100 different types of ransomware out there. How many are yet to be identified? Who know, I mean, we don't know that number, but it's certainly something that needs to be thought about. The majority of victims are eating it. In other words, they're paying the ransom and not reporting it. So you can get into the argument, and I've seen this many times over the last week, that stop paying the ransom, stop paying the ransom. And I get it. You don't want to pay the ransom because all that does is give them money to do research and development and continue to create new ransomware. I get that. What I also get is that if you're a small to medium-sized business and you are hemorrhaging clients' money dealing with this encryption issue on your network – the, and you determine the best way from a business perspective to deal with it is pay the ransom, you have to pay the ransom. I am certainly not in the camp that says punish the victim. I saw, I saw some article where they noted that if you pay a ransomware group, you could be placed on the OFAC list, which is a, a list held by the Department of Commerce, Commerce that doesn't allow you to do business in the United States, but that's a, that's a story for another, another podcast. But why, why victimize the victim? They are just trying to get by because I'll be honest, the FBI can't help. In most cases, you call the FBI, they're going to come in, try to figure out, try to figure out what variant you have of ransomware. And if there's decryption keys available, then that's great. They can help you to decrypt it. If it's a new one, which new variants are created probably on a daily basis because it's not that hard once you figure out how to code a piece of ransomware to modify it slightly so that the decryption key found by someone else is not the same one you're using for another victim, then, you know, what's the FBI going to do? We can only do so much. These are all coming from overseas. It's not like we're going to go break down somebody's door immediately and get your data back. Now, obviously, the dark side thing with Colonial Pipeline freaked them out enough that they allegedly closed up shop because they don't want the heat on them. But at the end of the day, they're going to come back as some other group name with some other other type of ransomware tool, and it's going to continue on. I don't have a solution to this. If you're, if you're waiting for me to say, here's how to solve this, I really don't have that other than increasing awareness. Now, I've talked a lot about how 90% of cases start with a spearfish email, and that's certainly the case. Colonial Pipeline, that was not it. That was a um, – uh, they had a, an account with, a, with legitimate username and passwords for a team viewer access or something. I think that was it for Colonial. But anyway, that had to do with legitimate credentials found online, utilized to get into – to um, their VPN and gave the gave that hacker access. So that was a little different, but for the most part, it still seems like that. It's poor password management, not removing people who've quit your business. I mean, one of the first things, if you own a business and someone quits, the first thing you need to do is remove them, remove their access from all of your systems, because that is a way for bad guys to get in. 
So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do this. So another thing on this that I noted for a huge point is we just don't know what the downstream issues associated with ransomware are just yet. In other words, what's the job loss? How many people lose jobs because of ransomware? What's the, how many businesses close up shop because of it? I think this is all going to get worse before it really gets better. So, you know, I, you know, I wish I had better news, but, but that's really kind of, kind of the way, the way we are looking here. And someone on, on LinkedIn actually asked me a question saying, um, does, so this is a question I was asked on LinkedIn with this article. Does the art, does the data include any insight on ransoms paid by insurers? Curious if there are scenarios where the event is not reported to authorities, but rather to insurers. My response was, uh, I don't think we're at the cost yet. It has to be coming soon. That doesn't matter. If you want to see, you can go to LinkedIn uh, and look at that if, if you're if you're so inclined. So let me end this podcast. We're getting close to the 30-minute mark. Again, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Is The FBI came out recently, or may have been out for a while, but I just kind of caught a glimpse of it, of the 2020 Elder Fraud Report. And so you can go get this off of ic3.gov if you want to download it and read it. It's 20, 18 pages. Uh, and some appendices. So I just want to hit some of the highlights here. So here's the top-level highlights in 2020 for elder and how elder elder is defined as 60 or older. So these are crimes that occurred against 60, folks 60 or older that were reported to the Internet Crime Complaint Center. So keep that in mind. These numbers are those that are reported. That percentage of reporting over total victims is probably very small. The exact smallest, I can't tell you, but it is what it is. So the losses captured by the FBI, a billion dollars in losses, 105,301 victims. 28% of all reported loss to the Internet Crime Complaint Center was because of elder fraud. Uh, The average victim lost $9,175, and over 1,900 individuals lost more than $100,000. So what is the main way that this is happening? So these are the these are the crime types. This is actually that's not the one I want. I'm sorry. This is the this is the crime type that lost the most money. So 281 billion dollars was lost due to romance fraud, confidence fraud. People who trusted people online and gave them money. This is a huge problem obviously for the elder community because they are not well-versed on the scams out there. They have technology at their hands. They have cell phones. They have iPads. They have laptops. Uh, and you get an email, and, you know, you tend to believe what you see on I mean, bad guys believe what they hear on the Internet. I had a case years ago, and I told them my server was in Canada, and they believed me because they read, they heard, they trusted me online, and they thought it was in Canada. Um, but that being said, um, with confidence and romance fraud, when you have widowed Elderly parents, you know, they're, they're looking to find love online. There's a lot of dating apps. And so that this is, it makes sense that this is a problem. So, you know, I, I certainly recommend educating your elder parents, your elder relatives about the risks, the scams out there. So they're at least on the lookout, or at least have a presence of mind about it, that maybe they can recognize, hey, this is a problem. This is also an issue with banks in the sense that if you have, uh, you know, a 75-year-old woman comes in once a week and is wire transferring $5,000 overseas, you'd like to think the bank would say, hey, are you sure you really want to do this? And some do, I'm sure, but there's others that don't. So, you know, as a relative of an elder person, you need to take that responsibility to kind of help them manage their issues and, and, and kind of stay on top of it. So the second one is business email compromise, which is not a surprise because essentially they are getting access to someone who the person trusts email and getting that person 
sending an email from that person and getting the victim to wire transfer money for some way, shape or form. A lot of this can be, Hey grandma, you know, I'm, this is, this is Patrick. I am at Disney world. I lost my wallet. Can you wire transfer me $2,000? What's grandma going to do? She's going to wire transfer Patrick $2,000. So that's certainly an easy scam that these guys are obviously getting away with. The amount of loss to that one was $169 billion. Tech support scams, $116 billion. This is where uh, someone gets an email and it says, you have malware on your computer. Call this number. We'll fix it. Similar to the 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 Geek Squad Norton antivirus thing I talked about earlier, but it, it is very effective against the elderly because they are they obviously become fearful that there's something bad happening. They're going to lose their money, so they call the number and they get, these guys are very good at scamming folks out of it. Uh, tech so that's tech support 116 billion, and then real estate fraud, uh, investment fraud 100 billion and. No, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Uh, I, I read that wrong. Sorry. It's not billion. Sorry. So let's go back. Confidence fraud, 281 million. Sorry, 281 million. Business email compromise, 168 million. Tech support, 116 million. Um, real estate uh, investment fraud, 98 million, and so on. So there's other ones. There's spoofing. There's delivery, credit card fraud, stuff like that. So it all essentially adds up to about a billion dollars. So I'm sorry if I confused you there on that. I read the numbers wrong. That is my bad. Uh, but again, you can look at this particular um, report and get some information. So the last, so here's some information on the rate of victim victimization over the last three years. So let's find the romance squad. So there's there were 6,800. I'm sorry, let me correct. There were 5,400 in 2018. 5,800 in 2019, 6,800 in 2020, which makes sense. 2020, a lot more people at home by themselves looking for romance and love online. And so it makes sense, certainly, that that would occur. So that's really the biggest issue. Uh, Extortion online, this could be from a variety of things. 13,600 in 2018, 12,000 in 2019, 23,000 in 2020. Again, not a surprise. A lot of people at home living online because of COVID. And so it's not a surprise that these things happen. So all this to be said, take a look at the report. If you want to find it, ic3.gov will have it there for you to look at um, and help your elderly relatives, keep them protective, keep them safe. If you're wondering from a state perspective, top three states by victim victimization, California, 12,534, Florida, 9,252, Texas, 6,342. Not really a big surprise on there. If you want to be safe, America, Samoa only had two. So I guess that's the best place to live if you want to stay safe. Uh, so there's that. And that's going to do it for this podcast. I'm at about 26 minutes. I appreciate you again taking the time uh, to listen. Tell your friends. They can find this podcast on all the usual podcast providers. Uh, Feel free to send me an email or find me on LinkedIn if you have questions or thoughts about the podcast. I appreciate those. I appreciate folks calling with questions, which reminds me there's someone who emailed me that I have not emailed back. So I'm going to do that after this podcast ends. But with that in mind, keep make sure you stay safe online. Help your elderly folks. I will talk to you next week. Hopefully we'll have a guest to interview and talk about some interesting cybersecurity angles. As you go through your week, make sure that you assess. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I haven't done this in 10 days. I've forgotten my own tagline. Understand the threats targeting you. Assess your risk. Proceed wisely. Thanks again for listening. Have a good week. Have a good week.